Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, what's cracking? Welcome to our daily jungle. The Rockets were back in Staples for the first time since they tried to ambush that Clippers locker room. And this time, James Harden killed a man. He put Wesley Johnson into the ground with an absolutely deadly crossover. Meanwhile, Pat's owner, Robert Kraft's girlfriend, had a baby. And for some reason, you ghouls want to talk all about that. And Texas Wesleyan baseball coach Mike Jeffcoat learned the hard way you should not come at Team Bake. Now the coat is out of a job. Dante Wilder, the heavyweight champion of the world, joined me before his title fight this weekend. Two-time Olympic snowboard medalist Mark McMorris told us his absolutely insane story. And Miami Hurricanes guard Chris Likes made his jungle debut. Let's get it. The Daily Jungle starts right now. Let me start in Los Angeles, where we are. I'm starting in Los Angeles because with the Rockets coming to the Clippers' house for the first time since they tried to bum rush the Clipper locker room, it was only natural to expect more heat last night. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but I knew something would happen. What I did not expect was a murder, and that's exactly what we got. And I want to warn viewers, viewers at home, that what you're about to see is disturbing footage. What you're about to hear, if you're listening, is extremely graphic. If you have small children with you, you might want to have them leave the room or cover their ears and eyes. Are you ready? All right. We go late to the first quarter. Last night, James Harden with the basketball. Wesley Johnson guarding the beard. Roll it. Harden one-on-one here. Yeah, James doubling up the Clippers. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Someone call someone because there's a clean up on aisle three as a man is down. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not good. Ouch. Count it. Houston TV. You got to run that back one more time. I mean, to really do that justice, you need to run that back one more time. Harden one-on-one here. Yeah, James doubling up the Clippers. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Someone call someone because there's a clean up on aisle three as a man is down. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not good. Ouch. Count it. Houston Rockets TV. Wesley Johnson goes back and to the right. Back and to the right. Now, let me say this about Wesley Johnson. He was a nice player. He was even a good defensive player. But bad things happen to good defenders when James Harden is around. And if you slow that clip down, you can see the exact moment that Wesley Johnson's soul leaves his body. That does not belong on a highlight reel. That belongs on faces of death. Wesley Johnson was so busted up, he was looking for Paul Pierce's wheelchair. I'm not sure this cat is ever going to walk ever again. And if he can walk again, he should just walk right out of the arena. Do not stop and bother to take off the jersey. Just get up into your car and drive off. This guy had barely hit the floor before people were rushing to update his wiki page with time of death, cause of death, and arrangements for the funeral. I mean, I could watch that clip on a loop, but honestly, it feels so wrong. That said... That said, let's go ahead and run that back again. And this time, let's count the number of seconds between the time that Johnson hits the deck and Harden actually gets around to shooting the basketball. Harden one-on-one here. Yeah, James doubling up the Clippers. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Someone call someone because there's a clean up on aisle three as a man is down. Actually, the worst part of that, according to my gal, Allie McKay from K-Rock, is someone call someone. Someone call someone. Someone call someone. I was on K-Rock this morning. She hated that. Allie hated that. Someone, someone call, call someone. someone. So either that was the worst part or the worst part wasn't even the filthy crossover or the ankles that were shattered into a thousand pieces. No, the worst part is definitely James Harden staring down Wesley Johnson before finally getting around to releasing the shot. And it was not a quick glance. That was a countdown. Like 1-1,000, 2 And then Harden finally does shoot it. It was like three seconds, but it felt like three minutes. If you're Johnson, it probably felt like three lifetimes. I mean, someone call someone. And how badly someone call someone. 
How badly did Wesley Johnson want that shot to miss? If that shot misses, the joke is on Harden. If that rims out, we probably forget about that play before the night is over. But the shot goes down, and that clip is going to go down in NBA history as the most disrespectful play since AI stepped over Ty Lue. I mean, how grotesque was that? Harden stood there for so long, he took his shooting hand off the ball. My man freaking took his hand off the ball while he was staring at the corpse of Wesley Johnson. So filthy, so nasty, so disrespectful. So disrespectful, I have to actually respect it. So what about the beard? What did the beard make of all of that himself? James Harden said, quote, It felt good, man. I've been in my bag all year, so it's just one of those moves where I had to make him dance a little bit and make the shot, end quote. Dance a little bit? You just made sure that guy will never dance ever again. That poor dude doesn't even have any ankles. Any ankles left? And what about that stare down, Beard? What about the stare down, Beard? I was looking at him and he was looking at me. I was like, what he was doing, where he was going to see. And then I just shot it. It looked like you didn't want to shoot the three at first. and then uh... I was going to shoot it, but I was waiting to see, figure out what was going on. I was confused. And then, uh... Didn't look like the play was dead. It looked like the defender was dead. Now, the ref didn't call side out of bounds, but the ref should have called the fight. The ref should have called the fight. The ref should have jumped in to protect Wesley Johnson before Harden could release that shot because Johnson was no longer able to defend himself. That's when the ref stops the fight, when the other guy is no longer able to defend himself. The ref should have taken Johnson's mouthpiece out of his mouth and then called the game the instant Johnson hit the floor and given Harden the MVP hardware right then and there. I never, ever, ever... I mean, I never, ever want to see that clip ever again. It's too hideous. It's too nasty. It's too grotesque. I never, ever, ever want to see that again, ever. Nah, screw it. Run it back one more time. Hard one-on-one here. Yeah, James doubling up the Clippers. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Someone call someone because there's a clean up on aisle three as a man is down. Someone call someone. Man down. Wesley Johnson, RIP, RIP. That was a good dude and a nice player. Thoughts and prayers to his family and loved ones. Chris Likes is my guest. Chris, great to have you on the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, Allow me to be here. It's great to have you. Thanks for doing it. Let me get you to go back to Tuesday night. You're playing on the road. You're in Chapel Hill, one of the most historic places in all college basketball. And before the game, your coach, Jim Laranega, told you guys it's going to be a track meet. So starting right right there, what was your mindset going into that game? Um, Just just be aggressive, I think. For for me, my speed, um, as soon as he said track meet, I got really excited because that's the type of games I like, you know, up and down pace, fast-paced games. so, I mean, I just try to, um, you know, to stay prepared, not not really get into the crowd too much. I knew it was going to be really loud, and um, it was just going to be different for me for, um, like, a freshman experience. But um, I think I just tried to do the best I possibly could. Chris Likes joining us. You mentioned being aggressive. I know that the other part of the message was you got to stay in attack mode from the start of the game until the very end. So, for instance, when you go on the road in the ACC, especially against a top 10 team in a house like that, how important is mm-hmm. it to have that attitude that you have to attack all game long no matter what? Um, it's definitely important. You don't want to play lackadaisical just because, you know, home teams, they have that extra advantage of the crowd being uh, into it and I mean everybody likes playing when the crowd is into it it's easier to play so I mean you got to stay uh, stay aggressive stay in attack mode and try to get the crowd out of it and that's what we try to do in North Carolina. All right so you led by eight at halftime and then you extended to 16 early in the second half but then North Carolina makes a run you probably knew they'd battle back and they did they tied right. on a Joel Berry three with over four seconds left but then Jaquan Newton gets the inbound pass barely has time to get over midcourt before he lets it fly what were you thinking when that shot left his hand and then what was going through your mind when it went down for a 91 to 88 win? Uh, I don't I don't remember who was exactly sitting next to me when I was on the bench, but as soon as he left his hand, I said that's good. Like mm-hmm. it just it just looked like a perfect shot and looked like a perfect way to end the game. So uh, I mean I was really proud of him. It's a big game for him. Um, 
and definitely a very good uh, road win for us. You clones know I am all about my Casper mattress. So what more can I tell you about Casper that I have not already told you? They have affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. Casper offers hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. Delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that, sized box. And free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada both. I own a Casper mattress and I always will. I will never forget the first night that I slept on my Casper. And I have had an amazing night of sleep every single night since then. And right now, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Try it out for 100 nights, and if you don't love Casper as much as I love mine, they will come and pick it up for free and give you a full refund. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting Casper.com and using the promo code JUNGLE at checkout. Once again, promo code JUNGLE at Casper.com to save $50 on select mattresses. Casper.com. Terms and conditions do apply. That's Casper. Now it's back to the Daily Jungle. Chris likes my guest. You know, also in that game, you hit the floor quite a bit, either getting fouled on offense, taking charges on defense. Some guys don't play that way. Some guys don't like that kind of contact. But you've said that's just the way that you were raised up, and that's how you were taught. So where does that right. approach come from for you? Um, just because, I mean, because of my height, basically, um, that's, you know, that's just the way I have to play. Um, because of my height, I have to work harder than the next guy who may be 6'3". Um, at my position. So um, whatever it takes for my team to win the game, whether it's me being on the floor, whether it's me uh, trying to guard the best player or, or hitting difficult shots, I'm going to just try to do whatever I can. And Chris, you mentioned your height. I mean, the fact is you're having a big, big freshman season at Miami. But if you go back a little bit, I mean, it's no secret. You're not ever going to be the tallest guy on the court. But you've said your entire journey, you've had the battle to get that respect and prove people wrong. So when you first mm-hmm. started to play basketball, what was it like? I mean, were you good immediately or did it take a little bit of time? Oh, no, definitely not. I really wasn't good at all. Um, it took me about about two years, but I really had a love and passion for the game. So um, I stayed in the gym, just kept working, and I just – I knew I was going to be small like my entire life, so um, I just said to myself, "That's not. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let that be a problem for me. Um, I'm not going to let anybody else tell me that's a problem." So um, I think that's where the mindset, kind of determination, came from. And then it starts to come together, right? You played your high school ball at Gonzaga College High in Washington, which is one of the most competitive leagues in the country. And then you were already right. making an impact as a freshman. And then you go on to set the school record for points as a senior. And you were a top 50 recruit in the country. So when you arrive mm-hmm. at Miami, do you feel like, good, I made my point, I have arrived? Or did you feel like, i got to prove myself all over again? Uh, no, I already knew from, from each level, it, it's always i got to, you know, um, Prove, prove new people wrong. There's always going to be more doubters. It was the same from middle school to high school. Um, now from high school to college and whatever level I, I go after this. But it's always going to be you got to continue to prove yourself with my height. And um, that's just something that I've embraced. Um, I don't get upset with it. It's actually um, a good thing to have his motivation so when I go out there it's just something I gotta prove every time I mean I get it I couldn't respect it anymore but that, I mean, there's no party that wants to say hold up hold up I'm a two time Washington Catholic Athletic Conference Player of the Year I don't really have anything to prove to any of you all <laughs> well there's no party nah, that thinks that nah I mean I understand that part but I mean you, you always gotta be humble um, there's always something you can be better at um, so I mean whatever whatever is the next doubt that comes up I'm gonna just work at it make sure I'm better at it we're talking to Chris Likes all right fair enough now maybe maybe some of the folks there did not know who you were at first but you become an instant fan favorite your coach said quote I know this our fans absolutely love when he is in the game and they can't wait for someone to throw him the ball he lights up the room he creates that electric environment that you want on your home court end quote so let me ask you, when you're out there, do you feel that energy and that buzz in a home game when you get the ball? And if so, what's that feel like? And then how much can you feed off of that? Um, it really it really helps me um, play, play my best. Um, when me and Coach L talked about my role for this team, it was going to be the energy guy, um, just being a, being a spark off the bench. Um, but with Bruce out right now, my role has kind of changed a little bit. But it's still the same thing, trying to get the uh, crowd involved because I feel like our guys play a lot better when the crowd is um, involved into the game. And that's true. That's true for everybody. So, um, I mean, whatever I can do to, to help the team win, whether it's bringing energy to the game, um, which is part of my role right now, that's what I'm going to do. 
you know, it seems to me there's another role that you play. I mean, it's one thing to get the crowd into the game, but you're always going to bring that energy, especially on the offensive end. But your teammate Lonnie Walker made the point that you create havoc on the defensive end because of how quick you are, and that inspires everybody else to step up their games. So what is your attitude when it comes to defense? And then how much pride do you take in the fact that you can impact it on that side of the floor too? Um, I mean, defense really starts with the point guard, uh, with the with the heat on the ball. Um, we talk about it every day in practice. Um, just making the other the uh, the other guy with the ball uncomfortable. Um, that disrupts the offense. It disrupts the timing of the offense. So, um, if I can do that, if I can make the point guard on the other team uncomfortable, then it's going to mess up some things. Um, so, and then another part of that is, you know, well, they're going to say he's five seven. So, I mean, he should be a defensive liability, and I, I just try not to. Um, let that hinder me or hinder my success. Chris likes my guest. We have him for another moment or so. Rumor has it you're a pretty solid NBA 2K player. Which team do you <laughs> pick and how come? Um, I, it just comes with, with playing a lot. Um, I'm, like 2K actually helps me with, with in-game stuff. So um, I play a lot of it. I mean, whenever we, if we lose a game or if we lose in practice or whatever, I go right back to my dorm and play 2K till I win. So... Um, it's just one of those things that you know I, I really like doing because it helps with basketball IQ as well. Robert Kraft, potentially a new father at age 76, not sports news. Especially when Kraft released a statement this morning saying the baby is not his. Much to your chagrin, I know how badly you clones wanted that. You clones wanted that guy to have that kid more than you want any of your own children. Admit it. But... He says, it's not my kid. But because you ghouls will not let this lie, let me read the statement in full. Quote, last fall, Ricky Noel Lander became the proud mother of a beautiful, healthy baby. While Robert Kraft is not the biological father, he is thrilled with Ricky's blessing of having a healthy child. With respect to her family's privacy, we will not be commenting any further. End quote. I mean, that should be that. That should be the end of that. I mean, he said it right there. He is not the father. You are not the father. Alvin, that is not helping. That is not helping. Not my kid. Not my kid. Yeah, not your kid, but that kid's life is ruined. Who is the father? Anyway, listen, I understand they're together. I understand they're still dating. Who cares? Who even cares who the father is? I saw them together at the Super Bowl and at the NBA All-Star Game and walking the red carpet at the Grammys. Again, how does this concern you? What business of this is yours? Why does it bother you? Can you not be happy for a 76-year-old man finding his own happiness late in life? Especially after losing his beloved wife. I mean, wouldn't you want that for your dad, for your grandfather, for anybody? I know the Patriots lost the Super Bowl because Nick Foles played the game of his life. But Bob Kraft is winning the game of life. He is living his best life. We should all be applauding this guy. In fact, page six reports he has set up his girlfriend with a nice little mansion here in Los Angeles. He's made some investments on her behalf. He's even reportedly fully supporting the child. All that makes him sound like a great dude. It's not his kid. Not according to that statement, yet he's responsible for it. His kid, not his kid. Again, what's the issue here? You're going to crack on a guy for being all about family and fatherhood, even when he's not the father. I mean, should we not be like holding this guy up as that's how you do it? Look, you know where I come out on this. You know where I'm going to come out on this. I don't tell you how to raise your kids. You don't tell me how to raise my kids. And I'm not here to tell Bob Kraft how to handle things with his kid or somebody else's kid or his girlfriend's kid. I just don't care. I don't care. I don't care if it's his kid or if it's not his kid. Whether this statement is cover or it's not, I just don't care. It does not matter to me. So don't at me with all the fun things that these two are going to do together in the future. I know you. I know where you live. I know how you think. I know your garbage. Garbage like garbage. Power wheels 
for the little one, power cart for Bob. And I don't want to see even one more tandem diaper change joke. Not fun either. Neither are Gerber dinner for two jokes. Hey, Van Smack, who has more teeth in their mouth? That 18-month-old or the 78-year-old? Stop. Hit delete. Do not send. And don't tell me about the $5 combined that these two will have to pay to get in to see a movie. Or that they'll share the same bedtime. I've seen all that garbage. I've read all that garbage. I've heard all that garbage. None of it's funny. This is a house that's all about fatherhood and family. It's important. So what do you say you try to be an adult about this? Most of you can barely raise your own kids. Stop telling Kraft how to raise his. Especially if it's not his. Allegedly. There. I hit on that. Keep moving. No need to stop there. 1-800-636-8686. We are open phones. What would you like to talk about? A couple of these notes just in. Dear Rome, could you imagine Bob Kraft's dance moves when he was told by Maury that he was not the father? You are not the father. I imagine he went with the twist, followed by the hand jive. Then he went with the waltz as the grand finale. <laughs> Signed Tomasio and Albuquerque. Rome, war still having a high sperm count, even though my wardrobe only consists of skinny jeans. Bob Kraft. And you know what's really funny about that? If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, I went with my one Bob Kraft shirt. I've got the white collar. Check this out. Not, not a huge fan of it. Not a huge fan of it. Well, why did you buy it, Rome? Thought I'd try something different. Thought I'd change up. Thought that my closet, my wardrobe should have one of them. Not a huge fan of it. Now, he normally goes like blue shirt, white collar, red tie. That Patriot look. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, I've got the black stripes, but I've got the white collar. It is the only shirt that I own that has a white collar. So the guy's not all about the skinny jeans. In terms of a 76-year-old's sperm count, again, don't care. None of my business. And in fact, they released a statement saying it is not his kid. He is not the father. What, is it not official to you unless Maury Povich says it? They released a statement. What are you waiting on, this? You are not the father. There you go. He's not. Dear Rome, who knows? Maybe in 19 years, Bob Kraft will be my father-in-law. Signed, Dane Cook. Like, I don't even understand that. I don't even get that, Steve and PHX. But then again, most of your submissions, I don't understand. Clones, give me a moment so I can talk to you about stamps.com. It goes without saying that the U.S. Postal Service is an important tool for any business reaching every household every single day. Now, Stamps.com is the easiest way to access all the amazing services of the post office. Stamps.com never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7. You can print postage for any mail class right from your own computer. With the exact amount of postage every single time, so you never underpay or overpay. And Stamps.com saves you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. I love Stamps.com, and the reason I use Stamps.com is because it is convenient, it is easy, it is reliable, it is so efficient, it saves me so much time. I love this product. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. So go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. To get this deal, go to Stamps.com and enter the code name Jungle. I love this product. I know you will, too. That's Stamps.com. Now it's back to our Daily Jungle. Three-time U.S. Open champ Mark McMorris joins us with an amazing story. Mark, great to have you on the show. How are you? 
I'm doing well, thanks. Good, bud. How Listen, are you? I'm great, Mark. I'm great. It's great to talk to you. Hey, let me ask you this. I mean, you just finished medaling in your second straight Olympics, but I think to fully understand your latest medal, we really need to go back to the start, the start in the flatlands of Saskatchewan. How did you first get into snowboarding? I first got into snowboarding just because I had got a skateboard that summer, and um, as winter fell, we actually went on a family trip, and they tried to put us in ski lessons, but I was like, Mom and Dad, I want to I wanna do that thing that looks like skateboarding on the snow. And then, um, obviously, up in Canada, where I'm from, our winters are much longer than summer, so um, spent a lot more time on the hill. Mark McMorris is joining us. So you win the slope-style bronze in Sochi. And then in 2016, you suffered a broken femur during a big air competition here in California. Can you take me back to the injury? What was that rehab, the rehab process like? Yeah, that was a tough one. That was my first ever major injury. Everything had been going so well for like six years, no injuries, just having a lot of success in competition and things like that. And then that came along, and that was a really tough rehab, the biggest bone in your body. So it, uh, it took a while and it took a lot of hard work and sort of discomfort at times, but um, always worth it when you get back on the snow because that's what I truly love doing. You know, Mark, I think a lot of people know your story and it's an amazing story at that, but I think there's some people listening right now that may not know it. I mean, you came back from that and that was a tough rehab. And then in March of 2017, you were doing some backcountry snowboarding with some friends when you came off a jump too far to the left and you hit a tree for those who don't know, can you take me back? What do you remember about that collision? Yeah, I just remember the tree being uh, right in front of me out of midair after like I finished the 360 and um, something simple, but we were shooting in the bow country and there's lots of variables. And yeah, I just hit it out of midair along my left side and um, pretty much suffered most of the injuries a guy can suffer. Broke. 17 bones and um, ruptured my spleen and collapsed my lung. So that was sort of like, okay, he's, he's done. So it was um, nice that people saved my life, and I just feel really lucky to be here even. Hey, Mark, I want to be very clear about that. I mean, you mentioned 17 broken bones, but if you don't mind, I want to take my time. I want people to fully understand what you dealt with. A fractured jaw, a broken arm, a fractured pelvis, broken ribs, a ruptured spleen, a collapsed lung. Doctors had to put you in a medically induced coma, and then they performed a series of surgeries. When you woke up from all of that, because i got to be honest, if any one of those things, much less all those things happened to me, I'm going to call it a day. When you woke up and you heard all the injuries that you had sustained, what was your reaction? My reaction was, when can I do this again, pretty wow. much? And do I have brain damage, most importantly, because I knew I hit my head really hard. And I was like, oh, my God. And I, I had a neck brace on because I just had jaw surgery or whatever. And I wrote it on the paper, like, do I have brain damage? And can I still go to the Olympics? Because I had been named to the Olympic team previous that week. So it was just, like, devastating to me and, I don't know. I must be wired different. I was definitely nervous and went through some times during the rehab, like, what am I doing? But um, I'm so glad I I stuck with it and came back and took inspiration from all my friends, family, and fans that would reach out and um, let, let me know that I'm inspiring them by pushing through this and things like that make it worthwhile we're talking to mark mcmorris dude you are definitely wired differently there's no doubt about that i mean doctors said that you'd be in the hospital for a month and you somehow got out in 12 days way ahead of all projections now what's interesting is jake burton carpenter who is essentially the godfather of snowboarding said to you after the accident he saw you and he said i was like what the bleep are you doing riding in the bleep back country when you're going to win an olympic gold medal and be a superstar end quote so when he said that, how did you explain that decision? Were you kind of like, hey, look, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm supposed to do these things. Yeah, pretty much. Definitely that that talk went down, and he was so happy to hear my answer because he, he cares about snowboarding as a whole way more than he does about the Olympics. And um, he's just been such a good supporter and friend of mine and, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't start snowboarding to go to the Olympics. I started snowboarding to be the best all-around snowboarder I could be and do what I love 
on a snowboard. So when you suffer those injuries and you make it all the way back to the Olympics, after everything you've been through since Sochi, what did it mean to be back at the Olympics and then to medal once again? Definitely really felt good to be back on that stage and in a, in a place that I'd been before and definitely really nerve-wracking as well because you're going through so much pressure and everybody expects to see you do well, but this time was a little bit different knowing that everybody had just watched an hour dock on me before I dropped in about, I almost died a year ago, so <laughs> they had a little sympathy, but then, yeah, just being able to come through and get a medal is just such a good feeling, especially with all the hype around it. There's hype, but there's so much inspiration, too. I mean, your story is so amazing that the Prime Minister of India was using it as an example of tenacity and courage in a town hall that he had with kids recently, and then that was followed up by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau presenting him with your signed competition, Bib. So what's it mean to hear that the Prime Minister of India is using you and holding you up as an example, and now that he has your Bib? Yeah, man, that's a huge country to pull stories from. And for him to pull my story was pretty special. Um, it was a huge honor, and I'm so glad that Justin has reached out before, so I was able to send him a bib, and um, then he was able to present Prime Minister Modi with it. And, yeah, it was just such a trip, you know, uh, how how far things can get with today's technology and stuff, and then also just... For my story to be that impactful for somebody is huge. You know, Mark, I'm curious also if you break this thing down and you get into the microcosm, the Olympic experience, I mean, what's it like when you're in the Olympic Village when you've got some of the world's best, I mean, the world's best, all slammed into a confined area? In fact, you had a great line. You told TMZ that it was, quote, a dry village, if you will, no alcohol. So what did that mean for the Olympic experience, and what's it like in that village? I think everybody's quite serious um in the village it's really funny you'll see all the nations eating as nations and then you'll know exactly which one the snowboard table is because we're all just hanging out together every single nation you know and just it's such a different vibe to be a snowboarder and we're so grateful for our sport because you can tell a lot of people wish wish they were living a life like us where it's not so segregated and serious and everybody's just knows we're all going to get to snowboard after, you know. I don't know. Like, I I want to go snowboarding off in the conference. I want to be in the mountains. I want to be with my friends. I don't know if those bobsledders, like, oh, I can't wait to get back to the track and just fly down this thing. I don't know. It's just different, and I'm so happy to be a part of it. And yeah, the, the Olympic Village is cool. We definitely were uh, running deep out there. It was cool. All right, so today's the day that we all become acquainted with Texas Wesleyan University. My kids are not going there. Nothing against there. But if we're all becoming acquainted with a D2 school deep in the heart of Fort Worth with only 3,000 kids on campus, and, you know, some people like that, a smaller school. Never mind that there are some high schools that are bigger than that. That's fine. But if I'm talking about them and we're all becoming acquainted with it, it's probably for the wrong reason and not the right reason. And it is. It's not the right reason, although a hilarious reason. An email has leaked to the media. The email comes from the desk of Mike Jeffcoat. You may remember that. No, he didn't play for the Cowboys. Not that Jeffcoat. Mike Jeffcoat. A journeyman reliever who spent 10 pretty anonymous years in the bigs. He came out of the pen for the Indians, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Marlins. All right, so that Mike Jeffcoat, remember him? Well, for the past 16 years, he's been grinding it out in the dugout at Texas Wesleyan, leading the Rams baseball team, and frankly, winning a lot of games. Up until last night, I'm not sure how many people outside that area knew that, or really even knew who he was. Then an email that he sent to a Colorado high school Baseball recruit went viral. And now pretty much everybody knows who the coat is and where he's at, but not for the right reasons. Because apparently some kid from Colorado reached out to the coach to express interest in the Rams baseball program. And instead of kicking back some generic response, thanking that kid for inquiring, the coat went all dare officer on the poor kid. 
and sent the following text in return. Quote, thanks for your interest in our program. Unfortunately, we are not recruiting players from the state of Colorado. In the past, players have had trouble passing our drug test. We have made a decision to not take a chance on student-athletes from your state. You can thank your liberal politicians. Best of luck wherever you decide to play. End of freaking text or email. Either way, it's legit. It's real. It's from a 58-year-old man to a kid who can't be older than 18, probably a 17. The Houston Chronicle already confirmed that the message came from Jeff Coates' account. And the TW Brass have launched an investigation, which I will get to in a minute. You got to love that. I love that there's an investigation over something that requires no investigation whatsoever. I've done my own investigation. Here's my investigation. The coat hates weed. End of investigation. Case closed. Now, what I do find amazing is there's some kid from Colorado who even knew that TWU existed. But then again, that's part of it, right? You're a D2 player. You've got to hype yourself. You've got to get yourself out there. He knew. He knew. He knew the guy played in the bigs. He knew they'd won a lot of baseball games. He figured it was a good fit. He was wrong. Not a good fit. Not a good fit because he's from Colorado. And the coat can't stand those Colorado hippies and their liberal lettuce laws. He made that pretty clear. One problem, Coat, and it's your program. You're the coach. You're going to recruit the type of athlete that you want. You're going to recruit certain states. I get that. Keep this in mind, though, Coat. The times, they are a-changing. Nine states have totally legalized the lettuce. 20 others are now down with medical or medicinal use. So do you really want to not recruit half the country? And also, isn't this the point of an actual drug test? You know, to find out exactly, I don't know, if somebody uses drugs or if somebody has drugs in their system. So what? You're just going to turn away potential players without even handing them a cup without even letting them take the drug test because of what they're quote liberal politicians I don't know coat doesn't seem all that sustainable to me not when it's going to be 2022 and you're not going to have anybody on your roster because of laws that your potential players themselves did not make and probably didn't even vote on but hey Without a baseball team to coach, at least you can crush your favorite flick on repeat. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard. Rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Wow. Maybe the coat ought to just relax. Maybe the coat should mellow out. Maybe the coat should chill. Maybe the coat needs to alleviate some of that stress. If only there was some kind of plant, legal plant, for that. If only. Meanwhile, the hawk just walked in a statement from the school. Texas Wesleyan U has issued the following statement regarding that email from their baseball coach, the coat. Quote, we are aware of the email sent by our baseball coach and the comments he made are in no way a reflection of Texas Wesleyan University, its values, or its recruiting practices. This is a personnel matter, and it is currently under investigation. It is our university policy to not discuss personnel matters, but we want to reiterate that this email does not reflect our values, and we do not condone discrimination. This includes discrimination on the basis of race, color, origin, ethnicity, gender, age, religion, disability, or sexuality, or 
the political legislation of one's home state. Uh-oh. 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 So the school obviously distancing itself from the coach. This just in. Another update. Per nine news in Denver. Texas Wesleyan University's head baseball coach has been fired. Obviously, a great deal of backlash over that email that he sent to a prospective player from Colorado, as I read, telling that player that he does not recruit athletes from that state because of that state's marijuana laws. Mike Jeffcoat was separated from the university Thursday morning because of, quote, derogatory remarks made in an email to the Colorado recruit. Texas Wesleyan president Frederick Slaybox said, quote, the idea that we would discriminate on the basis that this email suggested is totally inappropriate here and does not comport with our policies and procedures and with our values as a university. Don't know if you know this, coach, but you cannot say we will not recruit a particular state because of political legislation. That is discrimination. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. Therefore, you cannot work here anymore. Hard to imagine that he would not know that, but he didn't. And now he does. Deontay Wilder is my guest. Deontay, good to have you back. How are you? Man, it's good to be back, man. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Dude, I'm doing great. It's great to hear your voice. You're about 48 hours out from stepping into the ring against Luis Ortiz. So bring me up to date. How's your fight week going? Are you enjoying it, or are you just itching to get that fight going right now? Uh, man, my fight week been going great. I've been doing a lot of a lot of interviews, a lot of talking. So, But, you know, that's part of the game. You know, that's the exciting part about it. I enjoy, you know, promoting the fights and uh, being able to speak – what I say in existence and, and come Saturday night, that's exactly what I would do. I speak it, believe it, and I'm going to receive it. So come Saturday night, it's going to be very explosive. I'm looking to knock him out and uh, make my record to go to 40 and over 39 KOs. This is definitely a fight that no one cannot miss. And, oh, my God, this is right here reviving the heavyweight division right here. We have the most exciting heavyweight champion in America right here, and he's about to put on – a, a great performance against King Kong himself. My man, Deontay Wilder, I love that. 39-0, 38 by knockout, and you just called your shot. Listen, there is no denying your punching power. We know this. You don't win 38 of 39 fights by knockout without that kind of power. And to that point, you've said that you say two prayers before every single fight. What are the two prayers about? Well, one, one is a team prayer, and the other one is an individual prayer. And my individual prayer goes in the lines of, Lord, I want to knock my opponent out, but I don't want to hurt him to where he can't go to his family. Because at the end of the day, I want to go back to my family. This sport that we're, we're, we're in, you know, anything can happen in the ring. We, lift, we risk our lives for others' entertainment. And that's why I tell people we must respect all fighters, no matter what caliber of fighter or what level they are, we must respect them because they're risking their lives each and every time they step in that ring. And that's what I pray for. I pray for the for us to get in the ring and leave just as you know, leave get in the ring healthy and leave um healthy as well too. And, you know, we must do this because this is a dangerous sport that we're in. Deontay Wilder joining us. Now, you're the only reigning American heavyweight world champion. It was a division that the Americans dominated for so long, but then there was that run of nearly a decade without an American champion until you came along. What's it mean to you to be the only American heavyweight world champion right now? I mean, it's a great feeling. It feels real good to be at the top of my division, to be the main guy in America. But, you know... I'm a type of person that I don't like to shine by myself. I don't like to share the spotlight by myself. I love others to share with me. And um, hopefully that will happen. You know, I'm motivating a lot of people. We got a lot of great American fighters here in America that uh, we probably haven't heard of yet, but they're on their way to the top and they're working so hard just as I did to claim this spot. 
And I'm, I'm looking for, forward to my other American brothers to, to claim their name to fame in this sport. So that will be not only just one champion, but there will be other, you know, um, great prospects that's coming up that the world would know about. And they can also mention their names as well. Now, Deontay Ortiz is regarded as one of the toughest guys in the division, and you've even said, quote, he's supposed to be the boogeyman in the heavyweight division. You were supposed to fight him back in November, but he was pulled from the card because of a failed drug test. He's had two failed drug tests in three years, so how confident are you that he'll be clean when he steps between the ropes on Saturday? Um, I really can't say how, how confident I am in it because, you know, I'm, I'm – I don't know, man. This is this is this is something that you 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 just have to hope for the best because only thing that scares me about Ortiz is that they talking about blood, blood pressure pills. Now, keep in mind, he's only mentioned that he got on blood pressure pills when it was time to fight me. We didn't hear about blood pressure pills his last fight. We didn't hear about the last fight before that, nor the last fight before that. But when he fight the champion Deontay Wilder, we hear about blood blood pressure pills and if those that don't understand and know uh, understand blood pressure pills not only does it work for a certain condition that he says but it's also a masking agent to other other things that could be taken that's why he's got you know that was one of the delays for the first time because he was talking about these blood pressure pills and he got caught but he was covering something else up you know so Bob's been doing a great job in, in testing him, they've done it continuously, which uh, which I'm glad that they've done. But, you know, you just can never know with these blood pressure bills. So, you know, I'm going to pray and hope for the best that we get in the ring and we perform and give the people what they want to see, a great performance, and we leave the ring, both of us, healthy, in great condition, and in the night, both come out as heroes. Deontay Wilder joining us. One more thought about that. When you see a guy who's using PEDs, and maybe using them more than one time, what does that tell you about that guy? Does that say something about his confidence? Does that tell you that maybe that guy thinks, hey, I need to cheat to win? Oh, man, you hit the, you hit the nail right on the head, man. It's definitely about the confidence level. They don't believe in themselves. You know, all these, you know, and it's not just, just Ortiz. Any athlete, you know, they have to take any drugs that's a banned substance. Um, in their field, you know, it's their confidence level. Everybody want to make it to the top. Everybody want to have that, 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 that thing to bring them, get them an edge over things. They don't want to work nowadays to get it because, hey, working is hard work, and sometimes it takes longer than, uh, sometimes it takes long to get to the to the to the top. So now they want to cheat their way to the top. But my thing is, how can you cheat? How can you take something to make your body do something that it's not supposed to do and you accomplish, you complete the mission, you complete the task and get the job done. But how can you sit and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did it. I'm a champion. You know, when you know all along you had help to do it. I just don't understand with these people, especially in a combat sport. I don't feel no fighter or no Anybody that's dealing with a complex sport where you have to physically put your hand on a person and do bodily damage to that person, they shouldn't take no drug at all. Now you're really trying to kill someone. Mm, Deontay Wilder, heavyweight champion in the world. You know, you and I have talked over the years about how you got into boxing and the motivation you get from your daughter, Naya, who has battled spina bifida. How is she doing these days? Oh, my God. My princess is she's growing up and becoming a beautiful a beautiful uh, young lady, you know, she's about to turn 13, um, March the, uh, the 20th. And, um, she's doing very well. She's doing well in school. She's going, growing up into to getting up in, in, in the age, you know, dealing with the bigger school, dealing with the bigger world, different people, you know, learning her c- class regiment and routines of how she's doing it. So she, she's living, man. I, I'm so proud of her. And every time I look at her, she gives me the motivation. She still inspired me to this day that if she could do it, Daddy can do it. And while Daddy inspires the world to believe if Daddy can do it, then they can do it. So it, it, we work hand-in-hand as a team still to this day. We're talking to Deontay Wilder, the heavyweight champion of the world. You know, before you go, you talked about how you want to speak something into existence. You've never been shy to make a prediction about a fight because, as you've said, I love saying what I do before it happens because when it does happen, I want people to say, yo, he really meant what he said. He made sure that it did happen. You touched on it at the very top. Tell me again, what's Saturday look like and feel like to you right now? How is this going to go down? 
Oh, my God. Especially after this press conference we just had. See, the thing about me, keep me calm, cool, and collective. Don't make it personal for me. When a fighter wants to speak his piece and he be rude, especially if I bless you with the opportunity to fight for this world title and you you, you turn into being um, disgraceful, now it become a problem. Now I take it personal. And that's what Lewis Ortiz did. I didn't have to bless him with this opportunity. I could have went elsewhere, especially after he fell in a drug to a test twice. I could have chose somebody else, but I chose to give him this opportunity for his daughter because he had a daughter that had a, a, a mental problem as well, too. So out of the kindness of my heart, I said, I still wanted to fight you. So he made it perfect. He's been ungrateful. And like I said, we're looking to knock Lewis Ortiz out come Saturday night cold out as well, too. And that's what I mean. That's what I feel. And that's what I'm going to say and predict. So come Saturday night, the world can look for another knockout from the bomb squad, baby. Bomb Squad, you called your shot. One last thought. What did he say to you at the press conference that was so disrespectful? Well, the, the thing about him, you know, saying that, you know, somebody else gave him, you know, the public gave him a shot and how he was being, dis, being disrespectful, just the, the thought of me just giving him the opportunity to fight for this title, saying everything, you know, it's a lot of other things that he said that I wouldn't say, you know, on his phone to this channel, you know, but we take heed to that. We, we see the opportunity I blessed him with, and we don't think he's grateful for it. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to spank him. We're going to spank him. Albuquerque. Rexy, what's up? Not much, Rome. Hope you're doing well. You know, it looks like we got Cal in Vegas going all bounty hunter again out for Johnny Manziel. I'm not sure when he's going to do that on his break from dealing the 50-cent Caribbean stud table at the Luxor or the Pygout table at Circus Circus. And I guess it really doesn't matter because you don't want to go into either of those dumps with a black light. On inspection of your pillowcase, you might find a map of Hawaii. That's not a good call. No. Like I said, you don't like that call. I, don't like I that know call. what this guy's capable of on a good day. And I know what this guy is capable of on a bad day. And Rex, the bad days are starting to outnumber the good days. And I don't care what Twitter has to say about that. What matters is what I have to say about that. Take my word for it, Rex, not theirs. Do not give them what they want, Rex. Do not give them what they want. Let's go to Maine. Christian in Maine. Christian, good morning. What's up? Hey, Ron, what's up? What's up? Hey, I just wanted to say that I guess we know the mystery of the Malcolm Butler. I, we know I wasn't playing in the Super Bowl, man. He was too busy impregnating Rob Kraft's wife. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Great take, Christian. There it is. Four down, one to go. Now it's TGIF. The grind does include Friday. I will catch you then. I'm out.